Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds each of you so very well. I'm speaking to you from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Absolutely delighted to be welcoming Kiyomi O'Connor who is a retired pediatric dentist, a Buddhist leader, and an author to Grief and Rebirth podcast. Kiyomi will be speaking to us today from San Diego, California. In Kiyomi's wonderful debut memoir titled A Sky of Infinite Blue, A Japanese Immigrant's Search for Home and Self, she shares her very authentic and touching personal story about her lifelong search to live in peace and truth. I'm looking forward to talking with Kiyomi about the intense emotional difficulty she experienced within her family of origin, her uplifting healing marriage to Patrick, the love of her life that culminated in a fierce three-year battle after he was diagnosed with stage four metastatic melanoma in the brain, the interesting ways her career path transitioned how Kiyomi's dedication to a Buddhism practice fostered her spiritual growth and the ways writing brought light to the dark places inside of Kiyomi, helping her to break through her emotional armor to reach a blessed place of peace, healing, and rebirth. Within Kiyomi's extraordinary story are references to spirituality, mindfulness, humanity, healing and rebirth. Therefore, this is sure to be a fascinating and illuminating interview for all of us. Hi, Kiyomi. A warm, heartfelt welcome to Grief and Rebirth podcast. Thank you very much, Irene. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, I'm uh, so honored to be here. And I'm very uh, good uh big fan of you so thank you thank you thank you thank you i think we have a mutual admiration yeah thank you connection thank you let's start let's have everyone get to know you the way i do everyone her book is just wonderful i highly recommend it so um let's get everyone to know who you are from the beginning so i know that from a very early age your life was filled with emotional difficulties so would you please describe your heart-wrenching childhood with us during which you developed what you call your armor? And I'll bet a lot of people listening have some armor to them. Yes. You can identify with this. Hi, yes. Uh, I was in Japan when I was a uh, uh, you know, child. So about preschool, preschool age, like three and a half years old. I was uh, uh, putting into the awkward, uh, kind of a partially cultural, familial dynamics. And I was born to be second daughter, 
and my older uh, sister was uh, two years older than me. And she was the eldest in the family. So uh, always treated as a very special, um, um, you know, Papa's child. She was the favorite. Yes. She, she's the only favorite. <laughs> she was the queen. She didn't have anything to do with it. It was just when she was born, yes. but she immediately yes. right, was the, the, the favorite one. Yeah, so she was always treated like a princess and I was always there like being a servant. And my mother was being abused, emotionally abused by in-laws uh, while they are living together after marriage, like a few years. And I was born after they moved to the different uh, legend. So anyhow, uh, I was, when I realized uh, I was in, in a, a very awkward familial, uh, cultural, uh, abusive environment. And then my mother, mama, uh, kept me very close to her. And, but also she has a very uh, dependent, overly dependent personality. So she kept me uh, almost like a, a her ally and the best friend. And then she didn't let me go to explore my independence either. So I was trapped into the uh, awkward situation. And then every time um, my sister and I were together and the in-laws in came and then treated so differently. You know, that really bothered me when I was reading it in the book, I got so mad at them when I was reading the way they used to, they treated you, it was so unfair. Yeah, so the, if they have a gift, they, they gave us so fantastic, beautiful door, uh, like with a fluffy dress, you know, uh, to my sister or elder sister, but me was very simple, unattractive, some like a... <laughs> right. Yes. You were, so, always, you were second best. Second best or the last. Right. <laughs> Anyhow, so uh, at the beginning, I, I felt, uh, why they, what, what's wrong with me? Like, uh, what, what uh, originally was like accident? I thought, oh, they didn't have uh, the door to give the give same equivalent value to me. So that I, I was like a, uh, a little wonder first, and then become repetitive, and then the incidents become so so many times in, uh, repeated. And I thought, something wrong with me? Why they are doing this? And they, I never cried. I, I was not necessarily strong, but I was very brilliant, very smiling, and uh, very a good girl, like a bright girl. And But how come they are treating me like this? I started to doubt. And then that doubt, about them become my own doubt and become like a shame and a guilt, the sense of uh, something must be wrong with me, why they don't, they don't like me, you, you know? And then it's accumulated and then I hoped they don't even come to my house. They don't give me any gift. So that's how it started. And then to hide my emotion, I have no way. I have to just pretend that I am still a good girl. I never cry. So I, I just put some uh, pretension on me. You put the, like, a, like a, a, a shield around yourself. Yes. So they couldn't come I, in. Yeah, because I, otherwise I, I was very empath, empath, sensitive child. 
So I, I didn't want to wound myself. So to, so to protect my feelings and in the sense of shame and guilt, it just confused me so much. I couldn't bear it. So that's why I started to wear the pretension armor. That's very understandable. <laughs> you had a really tough time. Um, to escape this darkness of your existence all through your childhood, you eventually moved to the United States in February of 1990 to start a new life as a researcher for the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. Could you share the beautiful way you and Patrick, your warm, charismatic British cancer researcher, met and fell in love? We always love a good love story. Yes. <laughs> before, before that beautiful love story, I, I have to just mention, since my childhood, I remain in that armor very long time. So I have a accomplishment, a achievement, or like a, uh, you know, my school or education. I become like a, a, a dentist in Japan. I graduated from dental school and then went to even uh, uh, graduate uh, graduate school. So that graduate study is the one brought me to the state. Uh, to be a researcher at NIH. So uh, first uh, uh, one month, I was staying in furnished apartment because I didn't know the environment. I asked my uh, future boss back then in Japan, I, I, in Japan, I asked a future boss to organize a furnished apartment for me. And then the, the rent was, uh, uh, leasing was uh, ending within two months. So I started to look around uh, homes or apartment or any house to share with the uh, with real American uh, people. So uh, I was looking around after the, uh, mainly after work and after yoga class I was taking. And then one day uh, in March, uh, just one month after I came to the States, I was uh, Actually, that was a 23rd house I, I was visiting to just check it out. So uh, my yoga friend drove me to the house kindly. And then uh, we, we went there. And then uh, the outside of the uh, uh, house, I could uh, feel something already, something vibration or some sort of a, a um, uh, spiritual energy is coming to me. Uh, he, he was uh, uh, after gymnasium, he was wearing white running shirts and the red pants and uh, he was kind of tidy, tidying up the house. And then I thought that person knows me somehow, even before even we, we went to the door. So, but somehow my friend, yoga friend uh, took a, initiative to knock the door and she's the one started the conversation with that guy. And then uh, eventually that become my uh, future husband, Patrick. He was very uh, neat, very clean, neat, and then uh, well-organized. And then uh, he, he has a very um, uh, style. He, he has a style of a very professional and very kind, but underneath, I felt he has a vulnerable heart, 
that's the one that really intrigued my heart to kind of connect with him. And he was extremely kind, uh, deep uh, sympathy, empathy. And then that really started to heal my heart from the past wound. So his empathy for you and his love for you started to help you to heal. He saw you. Uh, yes. Uh, eventually, he, he told me later, uh, he had a, a even dream. Asian woman uh, would come to the house to look for the house, even, even we, before we arranged that kind of appointment. And then he knew I am the one of fate to him. Yeah, you were meant to be together. That's beautiful. <laughs> and that's wonderful how much he helped his love helped you heal the yeah. traumas that you yeah. had. I have a similar story because I had a tough childhood and my husband also helped me heal a lot. Yeah. So I so identify with your story. Yeah. Um, could you share how you and Patrick changed your career paths and moved to San Diego, California? And Talk to us about your career as a pediatric dentist, because I was fascinated that you helped indigenous Native American children. Yes. Uh, when I was in Japan, I was always, every year as a dental student, I, I visited a very rural uh, community, even no dentist around within like a hundred kilometer uh, in diameter. So. Anyhow, I wanted to help people uh, to be educated and then to, uh, to take a good uh, dental hygiene or whatever. I, I, I was originally interested in that. And then uh, Patrick and I started as a researcher, uh, but uh, in the States, I didn't have a dental license. That was always uh, my uh, kind of a lost wishes to help other people, uh, particularly in a, a difficult situation. So um, after four years I was in uh, at NIH as a researcher, I couldn't bear my uh, desire to help other people through my uh, clinical setting. So I decided to go back to the dental school and then uh, uh, become a pediatric dentist. And then uh, while I was doing a residence, uh, a residence program in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, I see lots of inner city setting, uh, you know, uh, socioeconomically uh, uh, impacted people. Mainly the, in Baltimore, the uh, black people are the, the ones. And uh, I, I found myself my destiny there. So, uh, so even we, we decided to move to San Diego because of a Patrick uh, change in career to the pharmaceutical company uh, other than uh, basic science in cancer research. So this, in San Diego, I was looking for some, some, something like an indigenous community I can be part of. So I decided to take a job uh, just uh, within one month after we moved to San Diego. And then I continued uh, until Patrick really become ill. Wow. I found, yes, I, I found really 
Um, so you would go like to clinics or you would go to their communities and, and did you work on both adults and children or mostly you stuck with children because you're a pediatric dentist? Yes, I did only children. And then uh, even I had a, a California license and then I, I could work in a private practice. I continued to work there a very long time. And I found such a rewarding experience by sharing, um, you know, it's a gift, my gift to them. And they respond as a more gift to me. And you got children learning right from the beginning about taking care of themselves through their good dental health and all that they wouldn't yeah. have known. That's a blessing. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thanks. Thanks. So wonderful. Now, I also know your father steered you to learn about Buddhism. That's a beautiful story. The way um, and Buddhism also aided you in your spiritual growth and fostered the desire, even more of a desire to help you. And Patrick joined you in this. Would you like to tell us about that part of your story? Yes. When I, I, when I was still in Japan, before I came to the state, I had a exposure to uh, Buddhist uh, teaching or even spiritual uh, spirituality in general. Uh, I, I practice a little bit, but I, I never be really in, uh, involved deeply in a, a Buddhist or spirituality practice. So after uh, we moved to state, and then that, my, my father was actually estranged uh, in our family almost over 10 years. So um, when, I, when I took a residency program, we needed financial aid. So that's the time I approached my father if he can help us. So he, he was willing to help me because the, as a back story, when I was in the dental school, uh, my father was already out of our house and then having another family uh, elsewhere. And then I know he has going through the difficult financial issues too. So even I was the survivor of a childhood uh, emotional abuse, I wanted to help him. So that's why I, I told him, I will take a, a student loan for my dental degree to, to graduate. And then he, he was so uh, grateful, but he didn't say so that time. But uh, uh, when I approached my pediatric residency program as a uh, possible for him to support me, he was willing because he remembered what I did many years ago uh, when I was a student, dental student. So he helped me uh, and me and Patrick for two years. And but the, uh, he, when he finished two years of support, and I was graduated and I I got a license in Maryland, he became terminal ill. And he, he had a terminal cancer and then he was diagnosed to just prognosed to uh, live a, a few months. Wow. And then that's, yeah, that's the time I really wanted to help him, whatever he, he want. And then we, I go, I went back and forth between uh, Japan and, and the States. And then the last thing he left me was a Buddhist teaching. He wanted me to pursue 
And probably I think he, he knows my personality and my wish and my, uh, my strong desire to pursue something sacred. So, and also I have a feeling because of the family dynamics was still kind of shaky, but through this teaching, he wanted us to be uh, together in one. So I, I, I just took it. And then that was a very uh, wonderful teaching. And then Patrick saw me practicing sincerely and he was moved by my practice. And then we got together and developed a really wonderful spiritual life. It really enriched your marriage. You helped you enrich other people. Was your father a practicing Buddhist, do you think? Uh, he was, uh, you know, the wider, but my father was estranged uh, from our family. He was uh, uh, constantly praying for, uh, uh, for uh, his parents and ancestors. And so he had a heart to be part of a, a Buddhist practice, and then uh, I don't think he be, uh, he belonged to a specific teaching that time. But once he became ill, uh, my my cousin introduced the teaching to him, and then that's the teaching he. Ah. Yes, there's some connection. <laughs> yeah, wow, he passed that along. So I know that early in your spiritual training, you received a very specific spiritual vision that caused you to no longer fear the unknown. This is something we all have to know about, Kyomi. So would you describe this vision to us and explain the truths of the universe that it revealed to you? Yes. Um, I was very lucky to have this vision in a still early pursuit of my Buddhist uh, practice. So uh, what I saw was um, in the shower, I, I, while I was taking shower, it could be just only a, a couple of minutes, but uh, uh, while I was taking shower, I saw the uh, universe in front of me, the, the darkest, the cleanest and the cleanliest and a, a little bluish uh, tinted, that universe. And then so, so many zillions of zillions of stars and Milky Ways and planets, everything is so shiny. Everything appeared to you right there in your shower. Yes, right there. And then wow. I was all of a sudden like a crying like a water waterfall. And then, uh, and then when I get very close to the star, I saw the membrane, like a capsule of membranes, membrane covered capsules. And the inside was a, humans or Buddhas or deities or all the different, uh, you know, beings. beings. Yes, beings is there. Would you and call then, them beings of light? Yes. And then if I look, look, at that, look at that capsule from a distance afar, it is a star, but it gets closer. It is us being, living. And then I could even hear the breathing. And in one of the capsule, I saw me as a baby. I am a still baby, but it's a part of this universe. And then everyone, every this capsule and the stars are interconnected. 
it's like a, a, such a conscious, unconsciously, we are so conscious, conscious, awakened. We are so known to be part of this universe. And everybody was uh, breathing in a way and then living in a way, but uh, we are not separated. We are together. So when I saw this, I was like, uh, absolutely like a, like a cleansed, totally cleansed. And then like, a, I felt like a, I'm like a uplifted. And then- the, It was an awakening. Yes. It was a spiritual awakening. Yes. And then the, I, I felt that I am not afraid. No matter what, the universe, the darkness or whatever, it is a light. Every one of us has a light and then it's connected. So that was really heartwarming. And then like, I was totally settled down, like grounded and centered. And then after I came out of the shower, I felt like I am a different person. It was like you were reborn <laughs> in a way. And it prepared you yeah. for what was to come because I think it sounds like it carried you through in a lot of ways. Maybe that was one of the reasons you got the vision to carry you through yes. what was about yes. to come your way. Yes. Because I know you had an absolutely heartbreaking three-year battle against Patrick stage four metastatic melanoma in the brain. Here he's a cancer researcher and he gets yeah. metastatic melanoma in the yes. brain. And yeah. you also had to become his caregiver, which is so difficult. So yeah. what would you like to tell us about that time in your life? Yes. Um, um, after we experienced such a beautiful spiritual life together and almost how like many a, years for how many years kill me well we we are together 26 and a half years and so we felt like a, the very fine silky fabric uh, all interlaced and then we we are being together and and all of a sudden almost like a torn apart and then uh but uh, i had no choice we don't have a children and then we, uh, we are from uh, foreign countries. I am from Japan and he's from England. So we, our family are in the foreign uh, countries. Of course, we have uh, uh, friends and you know, the, lots of a community. However, we've been kind of a leader, leadership position in, in, in the uh, community. So- You're we, talking about in the community in general or in the Buddhist community? Buddhist, Buddhist, the, Buddhist, yes. The Buddhist community. Spiritual, yeah, spiritual community. So uh, my husband originally wanted to keep it so secret. Even he didn't want to share with the family, but he didn't want to share with the workplace or nothing. So I have to bear all of the secrecy of this illness a very long time. That was very, very hard on me too. So uh, I tried very, uh, very hard to carry out all of the uh, difficult situation one after another. He was so critical because it started from the brain, mm. uh, hydrocephalus. So it's always critical. And then the next time uh, another hydrocephalus in and out of, we didn't see the end. So it was like his personality was changing. Oh yes, definitely. From, from the from the brain cancer. And why do you think he needed to be so secretive? Was it just his personality or he was afraid to be vulnerable? Why do you think that 
he uh, became I, so secretive about it. I think naturally, even when he was healthy, he has a very spe special uh, boxes in, inside of him. Oh, he compartmentalized things. Yes, yeah, so since his childhood, he has a, some that compartment. It, it, and of course, we shared lots of stuff and then lots of, uh, you know, sincere heart. However, I, I, have, I know some distinct area. I am not trans, trespassed. <laughs> so, <laughs> somehow, somehow that part was, you know, because uh, the brain tumor uh, gives you cognition problem. So some, some area are very uh, difficult uh, to open. It was almost pronounced even harder. And then that made me feel kind of lonely. And then that, that was, yeah. I mean, you lost Patrick before you lost Patrick because he was leaving yeah. because of the brain cancer. Yeah. And now you're trying to keep this man alive who's becoming sort of a stranger to you. Yes. Uh, he's not this I, man who you've known. Yes, I, I think uh, uh, without knowing why I was juggling uh, all of the hospital, ER, the ICU, all of the stuff, I, I have to be warrior to him you know, to, to fight against some odd, some, sometimes, you know, this uh, three years uh, illness gives me a little social problems, you know, like we, we see some medical system or whatever, there are lots of a not perfect situation. And then that gives us a, a, a negative impact. So I have to uh, protect him from all of the, uh, possible negativities. So I became warrior by wearing armor again. So there went back right back on. Now <laughs> armor was for Patrick instead of for you. And and but I want but there were some very special towards the end that really meant so much to you. There were there was there were very special meaningful words. Yes. That Patrick said to you shortly before he died. And I want to ask you also, you also knew somehow he was ready to leave for the spiritual world. And how is he still spiritually with you? Uh, so what I, did he say? Yeah. How did you know he was ready to leave? And yeah. how do you feel his presence now? Yeah. So uh, Patrick, toward the end, uh, Patrick knows he's gonna have a more and more accumulated brain problem. Before it happened, he needed to leave the world to me. So that's uh, uh, the content. Uh, he just uh, look back how he was raised in a, a relatively poor family uh, as an immigrant from Ireland to England. And then they have a large family. And then so they, they are, they are happy, however, uh, they remained uh, poor for a while. And, but he is the one uh, who went to uh, university and graduate school and then brought him to uh, state. So where we met and he, his focus was uh, about us and then how wonderful life we shared, you know, the, I, he said, I brought uh, something he never expected in his life before uh, 
to share, like flowers or something richness in, in that life. And then he, he was so grateful for us to uh, walk on the path of Buddhism together and then had a, a wonderful spiritual life. And then he thanked me and I couldn't, I couldn't bear he is ending this story. <laughs> Yes, but uh, any, anyhow. There was such a validation that even though it was so hard for you, as he was nearing his end on, the, on this planet, physically, he was validating you and recognizing your great contribution to his life. Yes, thank you. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so special. Um, and how did you know he was ready to leave for the spiritual world? He had been in such secrecy and uh had his armor on how did you finally know that he finally accepted that it was his time to go uh even uh, uh toward the very end sometimes he wasn't himself and uh that put me a little uh you know hot for feeling sure, sure. Yeah. yeah because uh, i didn't want to lose us you know the uh, we, we are so together, we are so in tune, so better that he is uh, coming apart. And then so bad, uh, very, very end, uh, somehow for reasons, we have to fight against the, the, his uh, um, uh, withdrawal syndrome, you know, the, uh, while he was a hospice and then they, they try to switch to uh, medi medication from, a, you know, my husband was soaked in the opioid and then they changing the uh, less potent uh, medication and he had a withdrawal. But that time uh, we didn't have any nurse. And then we, I, was, uh, I was at the beginning, you know. A few and you were alone with him. You were alone with him during this little yes. period right. of time. Yes. And it was like a, uh, there were, um transitions going on yes he was he was uh, he was uh, kicking and then uh, uh mourning growing and then like a, almost like a wild animal and then but uh, at, at the beginning i i like just a few seconds come across i i i felt resentment to the hospice company and the nurses who left but then another shift uh, happened in my mind and then he is here. He wants me to be together to the end. To no matter what comes, we are together to finish this. And then, so that's how I felt. So he finally, you finally. It sounds to me like you finally felt his acceptance yes. of what was happening. You were together in oh, that. And yes. how do you know he's still with you? Does he give you signs? How do you know that he's around you? At, at the beginning, I felt so many signs. You know, the, the, when I look, looking at the, the, uh, the, his photo, uh, photo, you know, his eyes are moving. Like, a, mm -hmm. like a, almost like it should be solid, right? It's a printed. But uh, his eyes are moving. And it, as I look, look at him, he is looking at me. And so there are lots of uh, stuff like... Uh, uh, you know, subtle thing, science, but uh, uh, but I know he is with me and, you know, on the shoulder and into my heart, you know, it You can feel his presence. Yes, uh, warmth, you know, kind of radiates. Isn't yeah. that wonderful? And I also know that 
writing became a new kind of spiritual practice for you that helped you heal even more. So, um, and as you say it in your book, bringing light to the dark places inside of you and helping you to reach a place of peace and healing. Would you like to, and the product of that is your wonderful book. Would you like to say anything about that? Yes, yes, thank you. Um, When she left uh, this world, of course, uh, we had a moment to uh, to exchange our feeling and then uh, I, I know he has to leave and he left. But before then, uh, during the illness, I had a, uh, accumulated a, a, a questions. You know, some, sometimes not 100%, I agreed, you know, what, what happened. But uh, the, all of those uh, questions, and then I was thrown to the total wilderness and then darkness. Of course, uh, I mentioned about darkness. I, 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 didn't, I didn't feel afraid. However, this darkness and then uh, unknownness was very new. Like uh, we are no longer together. So we've been all together to, uh, you know, including face and- Oh, it's a big adjustment. Together. Now he's gone and you're like alone yeah. in so many ways. Yes, it's almost like a big trauma. And then the, part of me, like a grieving itself was at the beginning, feeling like a traumatized. I, I am a traumatized victims. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but uh, when I decided to write that, because I had so much things, so many questions, so many to be answered. What is the truth about us? and about me, and I lost everything. I don't have an identity. You lost your compass. Yes, and so to gain that direction, and then uh, I didn't want to be a victim of this uh, uh, sudden death of my my partner and best friend, but I needed to grab something. I will be survivor of this experience very difficult experience, but I have to survive, not to just being a victim of tragedies. And then so I started to write, but it was so difficult to even dig and then visit the places and then dig down to find the truth. Truth sometimes give you pain to even face it. So uh, but uh, he was there. Uh, he was on my shoulder and in, encouraging me to go for it. And then so get through it. I needed to use my own spiritual practice in, as a background of my Buddhist practice. And it become tenacious and persevere and <laughs> just keep on going. So, and then how... I didn't even expect I I write the memoir, but it turned out to be memoir. (laughs) Yeah, well, it was very it was very freeing for you and it helped you to work through a great deal. And I can understand that, you know, and and it helped your armor to come off. Right. Yes. But, uh, But what we need to know is how you eventually found healing and closure with your father when he died, your mother. Because mm-hmm. all that was still unresolved, and other members of your family, mm-hmm. and there was something you saw when your father died that also brought you peace. You want to tell us about that? Uh, yes, my 
uh, when my father passed away, uh, my sisters and cousins are on a, 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 along the bedside, and I was the only one. Just uh, uh, several hours before uh, I arrived from the States, but I was wide awake. I was watching him, and then he everybody else was sleeping you know just they are too tired to stay stay awake and then the, the, the light ball like this like a golf size golf ball size light came out of his body and then he oh. and then then it stays like a one foot above his his body and he I know that's a my my uh, father's spirit and he is stay there like a, a couple of seconds. And then he vanished through the window. And I knew he is he he what he wanted to say. And then he he ended the life, you know, he completed and he's gonna go to the next realm. But we are together, we share this love together. <laughs> How wonderful. And yeah. how did you resolve it with your very needy mother and your uh, sisters and everyone? Yes. Uh, I think uh, my, to me, my mother and my relationship is probably the, uh, one of the most difficult ones because uh, uh, she was constantly dependent on me uh, up to I left uh, Japan. So starting three and a half years to like all the way to the late twenties, uh, she was uh, constantly depending on me and every day she was like repeating you know, her, her complaints or cries or whatever. And I was soaked in, into that court dependence. That's terrible. Yeah, she didn't want to let you go. She won't let you grow up. I know, but, uh, but uh, you know, I when I was thinking about my mother, I was drawn back to that the young my childhood. But uh, now I am a mature woman, mature woman, and then uh, not just being living in a victimized me, but uh, I can be. Uh, Rebody, or reframe this event, past event, and then I can just take a step, and then I can even be sympathetic to what her background, you know, how she was raised and how she become, how she she was made of, you know, as I was made of. Everyone has some kind of a, a result, end product. So the how it happened, and then so that understanding made me feel I have originally love to my mother, my sisters, my father, but I have to focus the love I had, not the experience negatively impacted. It is it's up to me to decide how I interpret. Yeah, it sounds like you finally grew up. You healed so much and you were able to actually empathize yes. and understand where she could, came from yeah. with yeah. her edges. She still didn't quite understand. It, no, no. She, actually, she, she has uh, had Alzheimer's these, these years, like the last uh, five or six years. Yeah, so I, I, I don't think so. However, more like uh, the love she has originally uh, become like a pure 
pure form. So I really appreciate that the love she gave me. Yeah. And I have to ask you honestly, from me to you, Kiyomi, does your sister still feel she's the queen? Does she, <laughs> <laughs> does she uh, finally I, come up in the uh, equal status there? <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I think she is learning too a, a little bit. She she's herself definitely, uh, but uh, uh, she has a, a belief. She's the past ten years. My my elder sister had has lived with my mother. Oh. She had a really really uh, strong objection. We need to share share the uh, the care. <laughs> so, but uh, to me. Uh, all of uh, uh, her daughters, including me, had a difficult time, a difficult period of time in our life. My older sister, recently, and me, very young to the uh, uh, young adult age, and in between, my younger sister took care of my mother. So we shared the, the care in a way. So, I mean, we have to find out the uh, how we can be all happy. So I actually uh, recommended, suggested to two sisters uh, back in 2017. I was still deeply in grieving. I I told them we have to uh, place my mother, our mother, to the facility. Once it become a really difficult situation, nobody could take in care of. Before then, we all need to uh, establish our own heart to support that event. It, it takes time. Everybody had some experience of, you know, codependence. You know, you absolutely, you became the wise one, though, because <laughs> you went through. You, you went to the head of the class. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I want to bring this back to um, Buddhism, because Buddhism terms, call, they have a term called the four sufferings. Yes. And... So how, could you explain to us what those four sufferings are and how have they applied to your life? And how have you transformed mm -hmm. from these four sufferings? And tell us what a Buddhist leader does. What is your role as a Buddhist leader? Uh, okay, uh, so the four sufferings, uh, uh, the, the, it, your four sufferings consists of uh, the life, or like a birth itself, birth event itself. And then the second suffering is illness and the aging. And then the, uh, the last one is death. So it's like actually what we go through when we live, we, are, we yes. have life, we yes. age, we get theoretically ill and we go through and then we die. Those are the four sufferings. Yes. So the life event we can't avoid, it's like inevitable uh, event we, we, we have to face. So in the childhood, I had a, like a, a traumas or whatever, the life itself, it comes an inevitable event that I can uh, avoid, but uh, uh, and then uh, illness or aging everybody, <laughs> you know, experience and then death. So of course, Patrick had an illness to uh, death. So all of these sufferings, it's inevitable. Nobody can avoid it. However, 
how we face these uh, challenging suffering, the, to make it suffering or to make it a difficult if experience, however we can interpret as an adversity, as a part of a, like a seed of awakening. So that's how I feel. So you can take those four sufferings, but it's your attitude and how you move through them and how you transform yeah. from them that makes a difference, right? And what do you do as a Buddhist leader? What does that mean? What That you're a leader? Uh, do you conduct um, yeah. chanting and services? Or what do you do as a leader? Uh, the, we have a, a, a spiritual leaders in our community and we gather at the sanctuary, like a temples. So at the temple, we we have a, like a meditation or whatever, you know. So the uh, some of the uh, leaders who are qualified, you know, in a spiritual course, you know, uh, course of development and then gro growth and development. So that we are, including me, uh, we are helping uh, members uh, meditation itself. Yes. And then uh, I am also the Dharma. So you have to facilitate the teachings. Uh, yes, and then the, the uh, but uh, uh, as a as a uh, I am as a uh, ordained uh, Dharma teacher. So as a kind of a, uh, uh, as a teacher, I can just uh, having my own group of people and then share the the depths of. Uh, uh, marriage or whatever. So, uh, and then we, I conduct uh, like a, a meetings, like a home meetings, uh, you know, during this COVID time, it's a virtual. <laughs> it must've been a very busy time for you during this time, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, because there's some, some members impacted uh, very psychologically, mentally. So I have to add more meetings and to encourage people just how, how I, they are doing and uh, yeah. You're a wonderful role model for them with all that you've been through. What is your message about the importance of healing, which you have done, that you would like to share with our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience? Why yeah. should people move through their suffering yeah. to heal yeah. and transform their lives? Yes. I, I think it, uh, since I, uh, as I share the, uh, the vision um, of my earlier, idea uh, pursuit in Buddhism. So I think we are all interconnected. And then that interconnection is like a, a, a medium of interconnection is of course like a compassion and wisdom, but love and light. So everybody shared that the uh, same medium and we are part of the cosmos. And so sometimes the inevitable uh, event uh, we mentioned about the four sufferings. Right, life so, is going to happen. Yes, that that nobody, even the prince, you know, Prince uh, Godamashi Dada, they he couldn't even avoid. Right. Nobody, nobody can avoid our own death either. So it comes, but uh, uh, healing is how we can live with that suffering as an inevitable, but how we can even um, encourage each other to live that love and the light um, in the circumstances. Uh, we are, we are dying some point. 
and of we course. may become ill. But but uh, still, uh, instead of uh, being uh, just uh, forever being a, a victim, but uh, we can find some part of a connection in the interconnectedness to start to, uh, you know, interpret a little differently. And then that, that makes uh, the life, uh, our own life, even a little brighter. And you're a role model for that. <laughs> you are a role model for that. Look what you're doing. How are, how can members of our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience connect with you? Do you have a website? What would you like to tell them about uh, to connect it, with you? And I'm sure, of course, your book is on Amazon. I know that. But yeah. how can they connect with you? Thank you very much. Uh, uh, I am available uh, through the newsletters and then uh, almost intimate uh, information comes through the new newsletter. So if you visit my website, kiyomiokona.com, K-Y-O-M-I-O-C-O-N-N-O-R.com. No apostrophe, O-C-O-N-N-O-R. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, plus, I am an active social, uh, social media, Facebook, Kiyomi Okona. And I have an author page, Kiyomi Okona, uh, comma, author. Uh, or uh, Instagram, uh, a little less active, but uh, Twitter, <laughs> too. <laughs> you find them. Uh, You'll find Kiyomi Okona on social media and yes. through her website. Yes. And- Right. And what is the Kiyomi O'Connor tip for finding joy in life? Uh, yes. I, I want to stay curious. Just I want to stay curious and then humble and grateful. Gratitude is the one that always brings me centered. So thank you. Oh, that's beautiful. That is so true, too. Kiyomi, there is much wisdom to be savored in your enlightening book, A Sky of Infinite Blue. And I especially love these two lines. I have learned to appreciate my scars and wounds and to transform them into treasures. And may we all be so lucky to find such peace and love in the wake of loss. You are truly a role model for grief healing, and rebirth. Thank you for so courageously sharing your inspiring story with all of us. And I thank you from my heart for this enlightening, illuminating interview today. And here's a loving reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes in all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and especially on YouTube. Like, subscribe, hit notify to make sure you will get the inspiring new interviews like this one with Kiyomi coming your way. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, you, Kiyomi. As I like to say, to be continued, many (laughs) blessings, and bye for now. Mm -hmm.